Welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and I think it's fair to say we had a few unexpected results in the Bundesliga this week, a few tilts that didn't quite go as we thought they would, which had a pretty big impact on the table. And how's this for unexpected? We've not heard from him in months, but here he is. He's back in the Talking Foosball hot seat. It's Aiden Ray. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How you been, man? Uh, good. Staying busy, but glad to be back. Excellent, excellent. It's it's, it's very good to have you back. Your voice has uh, has been a, an important part over the last couple of seasons, and uh, it's 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 good to have it back, ringing in the ears of our listeners. Yeah, this week we are going to be running through all of the banana peels that cause some big slip ups for some some big teams and small teams, as well as look at those uh, those slip ups from the perspective of the peels themselves. You know, we're, we're all about shifting the paradigm here on Talking Foosball. So do not go away. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about the best of the match day that we just saw go by us. Uh, this one was match day 19. And, and I would have to say things are really tightening up at the top. I mean, anyone would have to say that, I suppose. Uh, last week, we had a four-point gap between first and second. And, you know, we saw a rare loss from RB Leipzig this week. And now we have that same four-point gap. Now that that gap is between first and fourth because uh, everyone else in the top four managed to, to, to put three points on the board. If you're worried... You know, or or maybe if you're excited about the prospects of another title for Bayern Munich, you you should be uh, e- either worried or excited. Uh, this was a good week for them. But if you also if you just like a wide open title race, and who doesn't like that, uh, you should also like what you see. So we, we we got Leipzig on 40 points, Bayern one back on 39, followed by Gladbach on 38, and Dortmund on 36. Aiden, this is the first time we've heard from you in a while, and maybe we haven't gotten the chance to check your temperature about this title race, this sort of unexpected <laughs> circumstance for the Bundesliga. I mean, we we kind of had one for a while last season, and maybe even at the end of the season, but you know, that was the first in a while. This was this is not just a two horse race. This is a four, maybe five horse race. Where do you see things headed? In, in the Bundesliga in a, in a more macro view? Overall, uh, as a Dortmund supporter, it's a bit tough for me, but I think it's definitely going to either Leipzig or Bayern. Unfortunately, I do think it's going to be Bayern again this year. However, I'm a bit torn on do I want to see another year of Bayern dominance or do I want to see, of all clubs, Leipzig being the one breaking things up? It's tough. Yeah, I mean, you you Dortmund supporters, uh, you know, take a very hard line on these issues with your, you know, Dietmar Hopp in the in the crosshairs and uh, boycotting the, uh, the the Leipzig away games. Some of these guys. I mean, is this antipathy like something that you think a lot of Bundesliga fans share? I mean, if the alternative is another win for Bayern versus a, a first time win for this club that kind of tacitly breaks the rules, it's it's a tough spot to be in, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where I think we see nearly every club, every time Leipzig is playing an away match, there are plenty of TIFOs that are against Leipzig in the stadium. And I think it is tough because everyone's tired of Bayern, but everyone hates Leipzig for the most part. And I will say this about Leipzig. I respect how they play on the pitch a lot. I think they're a very entertaining club. But like you said, they toe the line on the rules a lot, um, just in how they're organized and how they're owned. So it's a tough situation, and I definitely see pros and cons to either side winning the title. Sure, sure. I mean, I'm going to put my cards on the table, and I think it's probably been clear from some of the stuff that I've said throughout the course of the season. I am 100% behind Leipzig if it's a choice between Leipzig and Bayern. You know, despite the fact that Bayern have the sort of, you know, traditional club reputation and, and reality on their side, I just think the Bundesliga needs shaking up in a whole lot of ways. And I think having a different team prove that there is a way to win a title in this league would do a world of good and and would 
provide much more benefit than another title for Bayern just to, to sort of protect us from the influence of, of this team that, that a lot of folks don't like. And like you said, I like the way Leipzig play. I like that they buy young players and turn them into stars rather than, you know, going out and getting finished products or, or, or necessarily raiding the Bundesliga. I think they're not my favorite team. <laughs> Of course, but uh, I, I certainly uh, would would back them to win the title in, in my heart over over Bayern Munich, who I've seen it just too many times in a row. But you know what? The the world doesn't revolve around me. This was not a good week for Leipzig. Let, let's talk about that that startling result in Frankfurt, where you know the Eagles so bad going into the winter break, but they're starting to look like they have something going for them again. They had a bit of a nervy first half. Leipzig put quite a bit of pressure on their goal, but did not manage to, uh, you know, get past the line. But they were well worth it in the second half. The Eagles were up. Almami Toure scored an absolute laser from the edge of the area. It was not really a sealed result up until injury time when Philip Kostic uh, was able to tap in to seal the result. I was surprised by this result, but, you know... It's got to be a, a, a question of when RB are going to have a dip in form. And it happened to be this week. They had scored three or more goals in every one of their last nine games, which is pretty crazy. I think that's the first time that it ever happened in the Bundesliga. But they didn't score at all in this one. Is it more, in your mind, down to you know a, a lack of, I don't know, killer finishing instinct from 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 Leipzig this week or is it really just was this a well-deserved uh, effort from Eintracht which basically kept them off the board I want to say yes to both aspects in the first half I think Leipzig had plenty of opportunities to put the match to bed early it was just not clinical at all from them they have to do better but in the second half Frankfurt really did much better for me it was a uh, much more balanced match. Uh, Torres' goal was, like you said, it was a laser. It was beautiful. There's nothing that Gulashi could do on that. However, I think that it just stayed balanced for the most part. Frankfurt definitely deserved the 2-0. And I wouldn't look too much into this as a Leipzig dip of form. I think this is more of just a one-off. I'd expect them to be more back to their same that we saw for much of the season so far going into uh, next week. Yeah, yeah. And truthfully, I think Leipzig have a pretty tricky run of fixtures coming up. Um, between what's going on for them in the league uh, and in the cup, it's it's <laughs> kind of ironic, actually. They have, have Borussia Mönchengladbach, the team who they were able to sort of rest first place away from a few weeks ago. They are, you know, they'll be home to them next week in the league. They have Eintracht again, again in Frankfurt for the next round of the DFB Pokal, uh, which is after the next uh, Bundesliga match day, about a week and a half from now. Then they're away to Bayern on match day 21. Obviously, this is going to be a pivotal run of games for them. Uh, if they can win out, uh, this will be a team that that I think will be the undisputed title favorite. But imagine if they lose all these games, which I think is also a distinct possibility. This could be, you know, talked about as as the, 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 the stretch where Leipzig blew it. Yeah, I agree. I think that as awful as it is to say, you almost have to sacrifice the cup in this situation. You need to put a priority on the league if you are serious about winning the title. Because it's just, like you said, it's a really tight run of matches. You need to be focusing your best players on the true priority. I think it's okay to put in a few backups when it comes to the Pokal. It's definitely going to be, if they get the majority of points available in this little stretch... I think it's safe to say they'll likely win the title if they botch it all. Obviously, it's going to be an uphill challenge for them, and I don't know if they can climb it. I think the other teams are too good not to lose it after regaining it, if that makes sense. Uh, what do you make of, of you know, the, the game that's coming up next week is probably going to be sort of the, the match of the weekend, which is to say Leipzig hosting Borussia Mönchengladbach. You know, these are two teams who have basically set the pace in the Bundesliga this season. These are two teams who have sort of 
somewhat intertwined lives when it comes to certain players and and obviously the coach Marco Rosa of of Borussia Mönchengladbach is so strongly associated with the Red Bull project. He doesn't exactly have his team playing in precisely the same way as Julian Nagelsmann, but I think they're very good. They're going to be very comfortable with each other's tactics. They're going to know the sort of tactical vocabulary of each other. So I, this seems like a really intriguing game to me. Yeah, for me, since I am a bit of a uh, tactical nerd on things, I'm going to be loving it because I'm going to be able to sit back and analyze everything that happens. It's, in my opinion, a battle of the best two managers in the Bundesliga right now. It's just going to be a matter of, like you said, they're comfortable with each other. I think they'll know what the other one's going to be hitting them with. But if one can pull a bit of a surprise that works, I think that'll be a pretty decisive moment. It's going to come down to preparation, I think. As generic of an answer as that is. Well, any any <laughs> chance you might have any any wild cards in mind, either, you know, personnel-wise or... or a sort of an odd tactical wrinkle that one of them might try to outfox the other with? That's a really good question. They've been so consistent, in my opinion, throughout this year and what they're going with. I don't know if they're going to do a start-of-the-match change to try and catch the other one off guard. It just seems like neither of them are massive risk-takers to me. They both seem to know what they want to do and are loyal to it. So... I personally don't think we'll see many surprises, and I am definitely not comfortable calling a wild card <laughs> because the exact opposite will happen if I say so. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, let, let's talk a little bit about Eintracht before we sort of leave this game behind. I, I, it's been an extreme up and down season for the Eagles. They started well. There was a lot of talk about how Adi Hütte had, uh, you know, sort of compensated for the loss of his, you know, big attacking three who all took off over the summer. I think that a lot of that initial narrative that, that was being played out in the first, I don't know, six, seven match days was really premature because they had an absolute bear of a time after that, uh, that big win over Bayern. They went winless basically all the way to the winter break after that. Um, are you noticing any new wrinkles in the way Eintracht is playing uh, coming out of the gate here in the Rückrunde? They've gotten two wins against two, you know, one very good side and one pretty good side, which is to say Leipzig this week and, and Hoffenheim last week. Are they ironing some things out? I like to think so. I think they took the winter break pretty well and refocused on what needed to be worked on. Definitely losing the three attackers. That is so brutal on them. And I'm still torn on if Bastos was really the man to bring in on things. He's doing a decent enough job, but my big concern is if they can just continue scoring goals. There's no one really on that team that I look at and I can say I rely on this person to score a goal at least every two or three matches. There's just no one that seems consistent enough or seems at the level to be playing Frankfurt or Eintracht into a uh, top five race. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that you say that because I feel like expectations have to really be dialed back in a big way. And I think really... <laughs> Let's be let's be frank about this. I mean, Eintracht fans have had a very nice run over the last two or three seasons with with a couple of, you know, uh, appearances in cup finals, a successful one, uh, a deep deep run in Europe, a historic front three performance from their from their three guys, you know, uh, Jovic, Jovic, Rebic, and Allaire, and you know maybe they're just going back to normal now, which is to say, a team who is basically mid table, who occasionally has very poor runs and gets themselves into into some trouble. But I think that the, the foundation that's been laid over the last several years is still there. And, and I think if their fans are honest with themselves, it's probably okay not to be necessarily in the European conversation for a season. It's just a matter of whether they have a plan for the for the next three or four years. And, and that's where I'm a little skeptical because as you said, some of these buys that they've made, I, I like some of the players that they've got, but I think at the moment, it's just, it's, you know, let's see what Philip Kostic does. And, and if he plays well and scores goals, we might win. And if he doesn't, we won't. Right, yeah. And 
like you said, dropping down the expectations a bit. I think they're a type of club that need to be every season looking at being in the top half. As long as they're finishing in that 7-8-9 spot, I think it's okay for them. They have potential that they can grow on. I think their defense is pretty solid. I love Kevin Tropp as a goalkeeper. It's just a matter of hoping Kostic can score all of the goals he needs to, which is not really someone that you want to put much faith into with all due respect to him. He's just not that guy for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know you and, uh, you know, Abel have your, have your particular sort of opinions about uh, Philip Kostic. He has gone a long way towards... Uh, towards pushing them maybe in the other direction over the last season or two. But whatever. Let's move on from this game. Let's let's move on to uh, Bayern and Schalke. Of course, this was Bayern turning the screws on the uh, the, the Rasenball-Sportler. They got that emphatic win over Schalke. It was 5-0 this week, a side that, you know, Schalke's a team a lot of us haven't quite known whether they're for real or not. This week's answer is hell the hell no. Uh, they are not for real. In the pre-VAR era, in fact, this game could very easily have finished 7-0 as, uh, you know, a couple of fairly small, one, one I don't know, hairline and one more, more obvious offside decisions got two goals chalked off in the first half for Bayern. That was the only reason why they went into the locker room, only 2-0 up. Lewandowski, Robert Lewandowski, of course, uh, got a 21st goal of the campaign to sort of break things off. Thomas Miller scored, Leon Goretzka scored, Thiago, Serge Gnabry. They all found the back of the net. It was a long, long evening for the Royal Blues. Sorry, Marie, I know you were in the crowd there. Marie Schulte-Bachem, our, our guest from last week, <laughs> informed us that this was going to be her, you know, big day out. Just watch her favorite team in the, the town where she lives. Could have gone better for you. Sorry, Aiden. What do you make of of Hansi Flick's Bayern? This is uh, this is their second straight pile on sort of win after that big four nil win in Berlin last week, and I feel like this has been characteristic of Flick's Bayern. I mean, they're not always on, but when they are on, they are really, really on. Yeah, this uh, match kind of reminded me of vintage Bayern a bit. It was one of those where I think anyone in the league, they could have easily rolled over with how they were playing. I mean, Marcus Schubert did not have a good match by any stretch of the means for Schalke. He, I think it could be argued that Gnabry's goal was uh, possibly a known goal. I think that deflection was big enough. I don't think the shot was going on frame. I'm a little surprised it was ruled the way it was. However, I think that this Bayern performance it looks like a performance that could win the league if they play like that every single week you would have a undefeated team in the Bundesliga yeah it's beginning to be I've got a sense of Bayern right now that the only team that can really stand in their way is themselves they have had of course they had those two losses towards the end of the Hinrunde uh, against Gladbach against Leverkusen where you know, they had no business losing either one of those games and, and, and you know, will have to be, you know, cursing themselves that they didn't at this point. But I feel really good about them right now. I think that they – I think they found something good. I think it's also really good that Thiago, who has been sort of, I don't know, not necessarily a central figure over the last season or two compared to where he was three or four seasons ago. He's right back in the middle of things for me right now. I mean, he's not only gotten goals in the last two games, but he's sort of been allowed to really pull the strings in a lot of cases. I mean, is this in some ways a team that's starting to coalesce around him again? Is he going to be at the center of things in those big games, you know, against Leipzig on match day 21, against Chelsea in the next round of the Champions League? I think what would be best for Bayern is if other teams hope that he is or plan that he would be. I think what Bayern, they're a talented enough squad. Anyone on the pitch is capable of doing a lot of damage. If it appears that Thiago is starting to become that centerpiece again, then you're going to have the big matches where teams are planning to get Thiago uh, uninvolved in the match any way they can. And that could rely on, or that could allow Bayern to completely switch how they're playing. I mean, the goal that he scored against Schalke, it was Lewandowski yeah. 
brilliant amount of selflessness on it. He could have easily taken that shot on his own and scored. But you also have to think that did a lot of confidence boosting for Thiago. Because, like you said, he hasn't been the player that he used to be. A couple of seasons ago, he was, without doubt, one of the best playmakers in the league. Oh, he was the best player in the league for uh, three seasons ago. I, I, yeah, yeah, I would say he's arguably the best player. So, if they can get him to being that total threat that he was, then that could allow teams to overfocus on him. And they still have plenty of talent that they can get right around teams and do whatever they please with them. Yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting you mentioned that uh, that layoff that Lewandowski set up Thiago for his goal for. The reaction that those two guys had after that goal, I thought was really, really cool. Like it's sort of, Thiago was genuinely appreciative of Lewandowski for doing that for him. And you could see that Lewandowski really wants to see Thiago do well. He's sort of, they've been through a lot together and Thiago has probably set him up for, I don't know how many goals. It seemed like this is a, a really well-functioning relationship. And, and and I was really happy to to see those two guys sort of, you know, put each other on like that. I don't know. Where do you put Schalke? One more thing before we move over to the Schalke side of things. I will say this. It seems like Thomas Muller's another one who seems to be a bit more back than he used to yep, be. For sure. Yeah, oh man. He's one of those where I hate when Dortmund are playing against him for the most part. Like, he's a Bayern star. I would prefer him not to do well in certain situations, but he's a likable guy. It's nice seeing him performing back to what he used to be. But yeah, moving on to Schalke, I guess what I make of them is they're going to be a side that will battle for the top four, but they're not going to really beat the top three teams that often or they play like they shouldn't beat the top three teams that often i think right now they're in the right direction but we also see a lot with Schalke having one good season under a new manager and then the second season being not so good so it's a big question on how they handle the summer and if they can survive that second year slump yep i agree and i i find i mean they they, they drop down to sixth with this uh, loss, you know, coupled with also that the, the win for Leverkusen, which we can, you know, probably mention briefly towards the end of the show. And I really feel like this is kind of where they, they're going to be. I think um, Schalke are going to finish about sixth this season because I think they're about the sixth best team. After we saw what happened last week with, you know, introducing not only Grigorich, but uh, Roman and, and sort of playing in that very up-tempo style, it's not to say that they tried something completely different, but we saw this another time from from David Wagner of his trying out, you know, putting Robbie Matondo in for his sort of like, uh, you know, speed and penetration. It didn't work again. I mean, Matondo did have a nice chance in, in the first half and, you know, on another day might have, uh, have put them into the lead. I was a little puzzled that, uh, you know, Schalke, after basically looking better last week than they had all season, didn't just try and do it again, just run it back. I mean, even if it was Bayern away. Yeah, I'm bit inclined to agree with you on that. I think how they handled Gladbach last week was absolutely brilliant. I just wonder if Wagner was a bit afraid of Bayern. He doesn't seem like a manager that would be, or a trainer that would be afraid. But I think he was just a bit conservative, and they never threatened Bayern's goal, truly. I mean, there's, like you said, one chance early on, I think, but it was a good defending block shot, I believe. But aside from that, hopefully for Schalke's best interest, they go back to playing the way they did against Gladbach next week when they face Hertha Berlin, I believe. Is that who they have next? They do. They do. Friday night. Yeah. So if they can go back to how they've been playing, then I think it will be very good things happening and i think they could get a good run of matches in but whatever they did against Bayern, that is not the way to move forward yeah i don't want a bit of it though uh aiden so so let's just let's just put that whole idea of them playing well on friday out of our minds okay well let's move on to your team now that we you know had a obligatory mention of my team before we get to their you know <laughs> ridiculous win from this past weekend dortmund borussia dortmund they were 5-1 winners over cologne this week for whatever reason they decided not to make us wait 
to get into gear. They just decided to get it on right away. They scored early. They scored often. It was, um, you know, a pretty, pretty uh, emphatic end to Cologne's four-game win streak. I would say Dortmund made it look pretty easy. I mean, they were on the board in the first minute. They uh, had a goal from Rafael Guerrero off some nice combination play, the kind of thing that uh, Dortmund like to think is their stock and trade, and when they're playing well, it is. And then another goal from from Marco Royce, which included <laughs> no combination play at all. It was, <laughs> you know, pretty much a long ball out of the back to the striker to the goal. Erling Haaland, of course. Still managed to steal some of the headlines. Uh, he came on with Bayfield Bay already three-one up, and you know scored two more to uh, help grow grow his brand, grow his legend. Uh, how are you feeling about Dortmund now that they have the uh, you know hottest young striker in Europe? That can't hurt, right? Uh, yeah, I'm a bit wary that we're about ready to see almost remnants of uh, Peter Bosch being in charge, and the fact that. The back line is so damn slow that it could easily become every match being 3-2, 4-3, just massive high-scoring matches, which to a neutral, that would be great. It would be very fun. I do think that they held well against Cologne. There really wasn't much of a threat aside from the Mark goal. That was really good. First goal he scored in what seems to be a really long time. The only thing that really slowed Dortmund down, in my opinion, was VAR on this one. But you have to use VAR. I'm in the argument that VAR has its place, and I'd rather have correct calls that take a few extra minutes than long calls that, or immediate calls that are wrong, rather. I did see one thing on Twitter. I believe it was from, I want to say Matt's. I don't remember his uh, handle right now, but one of the big... Bruce Dortmund supporters always at the matches. He was saying it was one of the worst atmospheres he has ever witnessed, simply because VAR took so much of the passion out early on. So I found it a bit interesting to hear that a 5-1 win still resulted in a bad environment. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. I feel like that, to me, is the biggest stumbling block to VAR working well, which is to say it totally robs the passion from the actual in-person support. They're still being too timid when it comes to offering uh, a sort of thorough and clear explanations coupled with, you know, thorough and clear uh, replays given to the people who are actually in the stadium. When you're watching at home, I think VAR is something that that it can, can be pretty annoying, but I'm more or less like you and that I feel like it's it's doing something good much of the time and, and it's getting better. I mean, I truthfully felt that, you know, the VAR, VAR review for the Royce goal, uh, you know, the 2-0 goal, actually was smart. Like it, it was, you know, ruled as no goal on the pitch and inside of a minute, the, the call had been reversed. It was at least shown to TV viewers as, as being a call that um, was, was right and fairly clear. Unfortunately, almost none of that is true for people who are actually in the ground who want to celebrate and want to have <laughs> want to have a moment at the football of of going crazy with their friends. Yeah, that 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 that's interesting to hear. I I personally feel like, you know, despite the fact that the USP of the Bundesliga, as it were, is is a lot to do with atmosphere and a lot to do with sort of politics towards fans and putting putting fans first. So. You know, giving that big of a disadvantage to the fans who are in the ground is is not good for the Bundesliga. But, you know, football, it's kind of a TV show, man. It's a TV show and, and you want to make the TV show as, as good as you can. So it, it's it's kind of it's, it's kind of old fashioned to think that it's not a TV show at this point. Yeah. And uh, moving away from perhaps a controversial uh, subject that could result in our Twitter feeds being blown up. Um, Holland, I I love him. I think he's a great striker. I'm so happy to have him. However, I'm getting really worried now because he's doing so well so quick that we'll see a club come in and trigger that release clause this summer. It's only uh, 60 mil from what I've heard. So he has 
he has a, a a release clause for anybody written into his contract for sixty million. From what I've heard, I know for sure there's a sixty mil uh, clause, or at least I've been told. Oh boy! I don't know if it's for Champions League clubs only or if it's for anybody, but the likes of a certain continent that's known to like big money spending is kind of scaring me a bit, and. As long as Dortmund's getting goals from other players, I'd be okay with him calming it down a bit for a match or two, just slowing down for the sake of us having him for a bit longer in a selfish manner. Yeah, to be fair, though, I mean, he, he had a chance to move to a richer, bigger club, and he and his agent and his family and all these you know stakeholders decided that this was the place for him to be, and I think they were right to decide that. So I don't know. I mean, if he can score... I mean, what's he on now? Five in two games? If he can score 20 goals in half a season and wants to, you know, <laughs> sod off to, to Manchester United, if he scores that many goals in half a season, he might well win them the league, Aiden. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. And yeah, I think it's right now five goals in only 57 minutes of play. Yeah. So yeah. he's playing up absurd numbers right now. And I can't be too upset about it. Still very happy about it all. Indeed. One more result from the uh, the top four, and I guess we probably will have a little less to say on this one just because we've talked so long on the others. But this is uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach's sort of return to form after uh, you know that loss to Schalke last week. It was a 3-1 win over Mainz. It was a nice comeback win. <laughs> Speaking of, of Route 1 goals, like we, uh, you know, we're talking about Royce uh, from the, the – Hummels' long bomb, another catch of a, of a long bomb, to put it in American football terms. Robin Quaison got a nice goal of that type to put Mites on the board pretty early. I guess, what, the 12th minute or something like that? But it wasn't enough. It was, um, you know, they were away to a much, much better side. Alisson Playa got a couple of goals. Uh, another... <laughs> Pretty notable goal. This is Florian Neuhaus, right? He was sort of doing a, a pretty audacious turnaround, long lob situation over a goalkeeper who had just headed out from, you know, probably 30 meters outside of his goal. It was nice. It was a nice way to cap off that result. Yeah, that one was a bit fun to watch. I mean, seeing Robin Zettner uh, come out, he did everything right. He won the ball, got it clear, just not clear enough not a fast enough goalkeeper to get back and it's a good goal uh not much wrong in that on either side but like you said mind scoring that ridiculous route one uh goal really early on just wasn't enough summer had a few couple really good saves uh that he made throughout the match but for the most part mind's didn't defend well, in my opinion. There were so many, well, both of the goals that mine or Gladbach scored aside from that long ball or that long shot, just completely unmarked inside the bots. Defenders losing it. It's unacceptable for mines. And I think, unfortunately for them, they may be looking at being relegated uh, if they keep this up. Yeah, uh, we will probably turn our attention a little bit more to uh, relegation action uh, after the break. But let's let's just talk briefly about Mainz. Is this just a matter of of quality being missing, or do you? What did you make, for example, of of their you know picking up the recently fired Achim Bayerlotza from from uh, Cologne as their alleged savior? Were these moves that smart clubs make? I don't think it's really a move that a ambitious club would make. I think mines are starting to remind me a bit of Hamburg's uh, couple of final seasons where they're just sitting around 14 through 16. I think they're right now just hopeful to do enough to avoid a drop, which, to be fair with their financials, that's a reasonable goal to have. I don't know who else they could have really gone after in a managerial change, but yeah, it's not a move I think I would have made. Yeah, you were, you were mentioning before we started the podcast that you felt that there's quite a few clubs, especially at the sort of mid-table to lower part of the table, <laughs> who might be weighing up changes at the top, which is to say firing their coach and bringing someone else in. And the reason why they're not... <laughs> 
is that there's nobody good to hire. Is that indicative of, of, of a general, you know, lack of, of depth in, in coaching talent in Germany at the moment? Is that something that, I don't know, it, you used to feel like there was a set of guys who were always sort of waiting on the bench who had been working at five, six different clubs across Germany and everyone was sort of a f- happy to just give, you know, Bruno Labbadia or Armin Fay or Mikko Slomka another chance. And it seems like those days are over. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I, I probably shouldn't put Bruno Labbadia in that company because I still feel like he could get himself a good job before long. But there are a lot of guys who used to get work regularly who now seem like they're just not on the list anymore. Yeah, I think clubs are almost afraid to make those hires just because it's a brutal cycle of they'll do enough, you'll get that bounce of a new head coach for a bit and then they'll start to struggle and then you'll need to sack them and you'll look at someone else in that little rotation i think clubs are just trying to get past that era all across europe really i mean every league you're starting to see less clubs at the bottom doing that little rotation of uh managers or head coaches i would be more inclined to say that clubs should be considering maybe looking at assistant managers out there um there are some brilliant minds right now that are playing second string that may be willing to take the reins somewhere but i also think what we could see do you have somebody in mind not no one that would probably be willing to take a mind job or a dusseldorf job <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I, I'm not going to be ambitious and drop a name here, but yeah, I think that what we could see happening is the likes of one club finally sacking someone, and then that will lead to another club sacking someone to get the person just sat. It'll just be like a little carousel that happens real quick. Sure. I mean, you could say that was what happened with, with Cologne and Mainz. I think Mainz were, were more than ready to pick up uh, Bayer Lodz as soon as Cologne let it go. I agree with that. Yeah, I could see three, maybe four clubs making a change and chaos happening. Yep, yep. Especially if it involves uh, Florian Kofeld, who up until maybe a Three months ago was was thought of as one of the most promising young managers in Germany, which, you know, there's probably still folks who believe that. Maybe I still do. I don't know. But it's uh, times have changed. We'll be talking about Bremen and much more after the break. All right. What you just experienced there is what we call a break, and the break is now over. It is now part two on Talking Foosball. I'm your host, Matt Herman. I'm here with Aiden Ray. Let's talk about the rest of Match Day 19 here in the remainder of the podcast. I did want to get a little deeper into that uh, sort of relegation race topic that we sort of broke our way into inadvertently, of course, when, when we started talking about mites and how they just kind of folded against Gladbach, a team who did not fold this week, who really, you know, pitched a tent, as it were. It was uh, SC Paderborn who, uh, you know, got past the other SC, the other sport club in, in the league, uh, the, the one from Freiburg. In Freiburg, it was a 2-0 win. They got off of rock bottom, did, did, did Paderborn which is something they have not done a lot this season. They have been, I think, on the bottom slot for something like 13 or 14 of 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 the uh you know match days this season but this this I thought was a pretty pretty solid win over over a Freiburg team who has been one of the surprises of the season yeah especially since they were down to 10 men I believe through it also yeah, no joke yeah no what, what minute did that uh, that red card happen I'll be honest with you I have no idea this is one of the ones I missed this week Ooh, 59th <laughs> minute they were playing with 10 guys for wow. over half an hour but yeah I will say this about Paderborn Every match I've caught of them so far this season, I've been really impressed with them. They're one of those where they're always attacking. They don't care who they're facing, be it Bayern or be it Mainz or Dusseldorf. They're going to come out swinging at you. It's just a matter of what will happen. I mean, let's look back at when they played Dortmund. That was a fascinating match to watch for most people. Yeah, they're just one of those clubs where I think they could potentially crawl out, but it'll be tough. I have a ton of respect for them. It's simply going to be, can they defend just well enough to get out? Because the attack is fine. The attack's fun. 
Yeah, the attack is is in terms of just pure like chance creation and like how much they unsettle opposition defenders. They're easily a top half uh, attack in this league. It's just there's another phase of the game they're not that good at. Any thoughts about Freiburg who who you know as I said have been a team that have hung around towards the top of the table. I know they have sort of they've outplayed their xG by quite a lot. So I I wasn't ultra surprised to see them lose a game where, you know, it could have gone the other way because they've had a lot of luck this season. Any any thoughts about why it is they've hung around as long as they have? I think the home record for the most part is pretty good. Uh, they really defend the house real well, and that is crucial. Also, I think just the defending, I mean, they're so content winning a 1-0 match that they've defended for 80 minutes and had 10 good minutes of attack that led to a result. I think it's just one of those where the team's so hard to break down for the most part that it gets results. It's not the most entertaining play, but in a game like this, in the world of football, it doesn't matter how you play. It matters what the end result is. Sure. Yeah. In the end, that is true. You know, unless you're Powderborn, unless you just want to romantically uh, entertain all of us uh, attack-minded people. The the sort of silver lining for Powderborn, we, as we were talking about before we started recording, is that they have some winnable games coming up in, in the next few. I mean, starting off, of course, with next week as they, uh, they host Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg this week were uh, losers. At home to Hertha BSC, I, I I I call this one Grand Theft Auto Stadt, as Hertha absolutely stole three points in this game. It was, you know, obviously fans of any team, it, it's good to see your team play well and dominate. But if you can't do that, one of the next best ways to win a game is to win in utterly undeserved uh, uh, style, which is more or less what Hertha did. I think Hertha were you know, second best in almost every statistical category, whether it's, uh, you know, possession shots, shots on goal, uh, passing percentage, running, almost everything. But they won the game. They got a couple of a couple of headed goals in the last, you know, 16 minutes of this game. One sort of emphatic one from from uh, Jordan Durinariga and one sort of looping one from uh, Dodi Lukobakio in the 90th minute. I'm pleased of course, Wolfsburg fans definitely not pleased, not only because this was a, a demoralizing loss, but um, also this is, I think this is their seventh loss in the last 10 games or something like that. Things have gone very much off the rails for this team. There seems to be a lot of discontent. There were some, you know, pretty unhappy comments from Jörg Schmatka after the game. Uh, Wout Weghorst said something to the effect of, you know, this just wasn't good enough at the back or the front. So Hunky Dory is is far away from from the Autostadt right now. Is this a genuine problem spot for this team, or is is there a way out? I am getting a bit worried about them, mostly because the mistakes they're making are pretty inexcusable. I mean, Hertha's comeback, you shouldn't be uh, losing 2-1 when you're leading 1-0 for that long. And also, Mbabu left Luka Bakio onside for that final match winner. I think they definitely have a talented enough squad. I just don't know if they're having like a lapse of concentration, if they're getting content with things. But yeah, it's just not good, and they need to do something. Yep, yep, I agree, and and I feel like I feel like maybe the 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 the, the bag of tricks uh, is not as deep as, as uh, Wolfsburg would have hoped from, from their new coach. All I can think of is there's got to be some, some, you know, maybe some significant lineup changes. Because I remember when I looked at the lineup going into this game, and as happens when you're, you're a fan of, of Hertha BSA, you're often looking at other teams' lineups and thinking, oh, they're at least as good as we are <laughs> uh, in terms of the players on hand. But it's just not working. So... Let's briefly talk about some of the other games in the league. Hertos' win, heartening as it was for us fans, uh, unfortunately didn't mean that we passed up Union. It's going to happen sometime, I, I promise you. But this week, Union got a, a nice win of their own. They got a 2-0 win 
at home against uh, Augsburg. Another hard, hard-fought win, pretty much. A bit funny in that Augsburg probably had the better chances in this game, at least if you go by uh, the, the expected goals model. But uh, this was definitely an Union type of win. Yeah, I mean, Union's going to be gritty in a way and get the results they want. For Augsburg, I think at this point, the only thing that they truly need, although they haven't been terrible lately, I think they've been outperforming a bit, I think they need a certain Icelandic striker back fit and in the lineup sooner rather than later. I don't think they're in serious danger of being relegated or anything like that. I think they're going to be just fine mid-table, but I think they'll be a lot better once they get that veteran presence back up top. Yep. I agree. They've got they've got a lot of good things going on up there already. I think Niederlechter has become a reliable striker, and I, I really like Ruben Vargas a lot as well. So if you could add a certain Icelandic veteran striker to that mix, it would only be tastier. Bayer Leverkusen, who we mentioned uh, close to the top of the podcast when we were talking about uh, top teams, their good start to the second half is still going on. They um, – you know, put Dusseldorf to the sword in Leverkusen. It was a 3-0 win. Kai Havertz was on target again, put them, uh, you know, gave them the lead. And it did kind of take them a long time to apply the uh, the, the icing to the cake. But eventually, uh, Lars Bender and uh, Lucas Alario got goals as well. Just wanted to check your temperature a little bit on, on Leverkusen. I know that... Um, you as a as a Dortmund fan have seen sort of the ugly side of Bosch Ball, but sometimes it has a pretty pretty attractive side. They go on uh, several game runs where they look like they're really a capable top side. They are now fifth. Do you give them any chance to get into the Champions League next year, Leverkusen? I personally don't. I think that fifth place spot is theirs to keep, or it's going to be a battle between them and Schalke. But I think they can hold on to it just enough. But yeah, that. 3-0 win against Dusseldorf. That was a pretty classic Bosch ball uh, match. That was basically how you draw it or draw up rather a successful Peter Bosch managed side. How so? Just tons of progressive passing, just dominant possession, focused on the attacking half of the pitch. Just all around a textbook match for him. Brought back some good memories of him at Dortmund, I will say that. But yeah, it's just a matter of if they can keep the good happening and avoid the downside of Boschball being typically being beaten over the top via pace. Yeah. Yeah, looking at these, uh, looking at these statistics, <laughs> I, I see what you mean. Uh, <laughs> Düsseldorf not really interested in the ball, thirty-three percent possession. Leverkusen eighty-five percent, you know, pass uh, completion percent. It's uh, definitely a game where the two teams have very, very different goals going into the game, and 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 playing those goals to a T. You know, other than the fact that that Düsseldorf didn't put any goals on the board. Dusseldorf is probably one of those teams who we were talking about earlier uh, that might be eyeing up a coaching change. I know that in some ways, you know, uh, Friedhelm Funkel, they tried to bump him off once before, or at least not extend his contract uh, until, you know, things started to go very well for that team and they had just walked that back. But it was always something of an uneasy marriage uh, uh, between Friedhelm Funkel and uh, Dusseldorf at least in the top flight era. Is this maybe the time where it comes to an end or, or is there just no one better out there at the moment? I think if anyone's going to take a punt on that rotation that we were talking earlier of the usual candidates that are currently unemployed and looking for the next role, I think it has to be Dusseldorf. If they don't make a change real soon, I think they're going to find themselves too deep in a hole to climb out of for uh, survival. Yeah, I, I'm of two minds. I, I feel like this is a team that has a little bit of, of um, big ideas when it comes to uh, becoming a somewhat more uh, stable club in Germany. But I feel like maybe just the scale of the project is not big enough, and they might have to just deal with a relegation if they're willing to 
to, to, to do that because I don't see this team as having a lot of alternatives to what's going on with them right now. They just don't have very good players at any position at the moment. So I'm not yet ready to nail them on for relegation, but I'm getting very, very close. Another team in trouble, probably not quite as much trouble in my mind anyway. They're they're not rock bottom. They're third bottom at the moment. That's Verde Bremen. They had that scrappy win last week over uh, Dusseldorf, in fact. And all those those positive feelings are now gone. Uh, it was an ugly home loss. It was a 3-0 home loss to Hoffenheim. Oddly enough, Bremen had the game pretty much on their side. They were, they were, you know, creating more chances. They had a little bit more of the ball. But then they had an own goal from Davy Clausen in the 65th minute, and the floodgates opened from there. Any thoughts about Bremen's way forward before we sort of knock this uh, this topic on the head? Is is Kofeld also in trouble in your mind? I think he's getting pretty close. I think with Bremen, they... They could be the club that needs a new face, not as a head coach, but as a player the most right now in this transfer window. It's just the loss of Cruza. When Cruza left, they have just plummeted. They don't have that presence anymore, be it the striker presence that he had or be it the leadership aspect that he had. I don't really know what type of player they could bring in, maybe, and this is going to be a bit of a bold shout, but Sandro Wagner could be someone that might be that big man up top who can kind of rally the side together. But yeah, I think they just need to do something this window that's going to put them back on track because they should not be a team that are down in 16th. Yeah, they have problems. I'm not saying they should be a Europa League challenging side, but this is way too low for them. Something has to happen. Yep, yep. You you would never say a thing like that, that this is a Europa League challenging side. That's something I would say uh, in, in preseason. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> it's just one of those things. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Good to have you back on the pod also, Aiden. Yeah, it's great being back on. Always love coming on here. And look forward to being back again sometime soon, hopefully sooner than last time. Sweet. Uh, yeah, you can follow Aiden on Twitter. He has a lot of uh, pretty pretty innovative like data visualizations uh, on his Twitter feed as of late. One about um, defenders build up play from, from the back. Could you explain what was going on with that? I thought it was a pretty interesting graph you put together. Yeah, so I did a little bit of a progressive passing for center backs looking at how much they're passing in general versus how much of it's going forward. It really revealed a lot of league trends, including how the Bundesliga has some very progressive defenders and the likes of the Premier League and uh, La Liga are not that progressive. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you can check it out. It should be pretty close to the top of my timeline. Yeah, totally, totally. AR Data Analysis is the place to look for it. I give it two thumbs up. If you want to contact me over on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Uh, you can always subscribe to this podcast, and we would encourage you to do so. Uh, wherever you get your pods, leave us a rating, comment, all those things. It's a big help. Talking football fantasy with JT and Flo. They will be back in action later this week. So, this is Nixon Mullion. y'all.